Chapter Twenty Four of the Second Latchkey. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Second Latchkey by Charles Norris and Alice Muriel Williamson. Chapter Twenty Four, The Anniversary. The girl felt as if some great flood were sweeping her off her feet. She clutched mechanically at everything to save herself. Night was there. He stood between her and desolation, but if he had spoken then, if he had said he wanted her and begged her to stay, she would have chosen desolation. Instead, he was silent, his eyes not on her, but on the desert. You swear you will let me live my own life? she faltered. I swear I will let you live your own life. He repeated her words, as he had repeated the words of the clergyman who had, according to the law of God, given this woman to this man. The train was stopping. Annesley knew that she could not go on alone. "'I will try, Texas,' she said in a final decision. Las Cruces Ranch was named, not after the New Mexico town thirty or forty miles away, but in honor of the holy crosses which had rested there one night, centuries ago, while on a sacred pilgrimage. It was a lonely ranch, as far from El Paso in Texas as it was from the namesake town in New Mexico. Even the nearest village, a huddled collection of low adobe houses and wooden shacks on the Rio Grande, Furious River, as the Indians called it, was ten miles distant. Only the river was near, as the word near is used in that land of vast spaces. At night, if a great wind blew, Annesley fancied she could hear the voice of the rushing water. When she first saw the place where she had bound herself to live, her heart sank. It seemed that she would not be able to support the loneliness, for it would be desperately lonely to live here, lacking the companionship of someone dearly loved. But afterward, afterward she could no more analyze her feeling for the country than for the man who had brought her to it. Lonely as she was, she was never homesick. Indeed, she had no home to long for, no one whose love called her back to the old world. And she was glad that there were no neighbors to come, to call her Mrs. Donaldson and ask questions about England. She had nobody except the Mexican servant woman and the cowboys who stayed with the new rancher when the old one went away. Knight had suggested that she should wait in El Paso until he had seen whether the house was habitable for her, and had made it so, if it were not already. But Annesley had chosen to begin her new life without delay, for she was in a mood where hardships seemed of no importance. It was only when she had to face them in their sordid nakedness that she shrank. Yet, after all, what did it matter? If she had stepped into the most luxurious surroundings, she would have been no less unhappy. The low house was of adobe, plastered white, but stained and battered where the walls were not hidden by rank-growing creepers, convolvulus, and madeira vines. If the girl had read its description in some book, the veranda formed by the steep sloping roof of the one-story building, the patio walled mysteriously in with high, flower-draped barrier, the long windows with green shutters, she would have imagined it to be picturesque. But it was not picturesque, it was only shabby and uninviting. At least that was her impression when she arrived, toward evening, after a long, jolting drive in a hired motor-car. The paintless wooden balustrade and flooring of the veranda were broken. So also were the faded green shutters. The patio was but a little square of dust and stringy grass. A few dilapidated chairs stood about, homemade-looking chairs with concave seats of worn cowskin. 
Inside the house there was little furniture, and what there was struck Annesley as hideous. Nothing was whole. Everything was falling to pieces. Illustrations cut out of newspapers were pasted on the dirty, whitewashed walls. The slatternly servant, who could speak only Mex, had got no supper ready. Knight would let Annesley do nothing, but he deftly helped the woman to fry some eggs and make coffee. He tried to find dishes which were not cracked or broken, and could not. If he and Annesley had loved each other, or had even been friends, they would have laughed and enjoyed the adventure. But Annesley had no heart for laughter. She could only smile a frozen, polite little smile, and say that it did not matter. Everything would do very well. She would soon get used to the place, and learn how to get on. When she had to speak to-night, she called him you. There was no other name which she could bear to use. He had had too many names in the past. As time went on, however, the girl surprised herself by not being able to hate her home. She found mysteriously lovely colors in the yellow-gray desert, shadows blue as lupines and purple as Russian violets, high lights of shimmering pale gold. Spanish bayonets, straight and sharp as enchanted swords which had magically flowered, lilied the desert stretches, and there were strange red blossoms like drops of blood clinging to the points of long daggers. Bird-of-paradise plants were there, too, well named for their plumy splendor of crimson, white, and yellow, and as the spring advanced the china trees brought memories of English lilacs. The air was sweet with the scent of locust blossoms, and along the clear horizon fantastically formed mountains seemed to float like changing cloud shapes. The cattle, which Knight had bought from the departing rancher, had their corrals and scanty pastures far from the house, but the cowboys' quarters were near, and Annesley never tired of seeing the laughing young men mount and ride their slim, nervous horses. This fact they got to know, and performed incredible antics to excite her admiration. They thought her beautiful, and wondered if she had lost someone whom she loved, that she should look so cold and sad. These men, though she seldom spoke to any, were a comfort to Annesley. Without their shouts and rough jokes and laughter, the place would have been gloomy as a grave. There was a colony of prairie dogs which she could visit by taking a long walk, and they too were comforting. It was Knight who told her of the creatures and where to seek them, but he did not show her the way. If things had been well between them, the man's anxiety to please her would have been adorable to Annesley. As soon as he saw the deficiencies of the house, he went himself to El Paso to choose furniture and pretty simple chintzes, old-fashioned china and delicate glass, bedroom and table damask. He ordered books also, and subscribed for magazines and papers. Returning, he said nothing of what he had done, for he hoped that the surprise might prick the girl to interest, rousing her from the lethargy which had settled over her like a fog. But her gratitude was perfunctory. She was always polite, but the pretty things seemed to give her no real pleasure. Knight had to realize that she was one of those people who, when inwardly unhappy, are almost incapable of feeling small joys. Such as she had were found in getting away from him as far as possible. She practically lived out of doors in the summer-time, taking pains to go where he would not pass on his rounds of the ranch, and even after the sitting-room had been made livable with the new carpet laid by night, and the chintz curtains he put up with his own hands, she fled to her room for sanctuary. Knight's search for capable servants was vain until he picked up a Chinaman from over the Mexican border, illegal but valuable as a household asset. 
Under the new regime there was good food, and Annesley had no work save the hopeless task of finding happiness. It was easy to see from the white, set look of her face as the monotonous months dragged on that she was no nearer to accomplishing that task than on the day of her arrival. Nothing that Knight could do made any difference. When an upright cottage piano appeared one day, the girl seemed distressed rather than pleased. "'You shouldn't spend money on me,' she said in the gentle, weary way that was becoming habitual. "'It's the good fund money,' Knight had explained, hastily and almost humbly. "'It's growing, you know. I've struck some fine investments, and I'm going to do well with this ranch. We don't need to economize. I thought you'd enjoy a piano.' "'Thank you.' "'You're very kind,' she answered, as if he had been a stranger. "'But I'm out of practice. I hardly feel energy to take it up again.' His hopes of what Texas might do for her faded slowly, and even when their fire had died under cooling ashes, his silent, unobtrusive care never relaxed. Only the deepest love, such love as can remake a man's whole nature, could have been strong enough to bear the strain. But Annesley, blinded by the anguish which never ceased to ache, did not see that it was possible for such a nature to change. She, who had believed passionately in her hero of romance, was stripped of all belief in him now, as a young tree in blossom is stripped of its delicate bloom by an icy wind. Not believing in him, neither did she believe in his love. She thought that he was sorry for her, that he was grateful for what she had done to help him, that perhaps for the time being he intended to turn over a new leaf not really for her sake, but because he had been in danger of being found out. Scornfully she told herself that these pretense of ranching was one of the many adventures dotted along his career, one act in the melodrama of which he delighted to be the leading actor. His own love of luxury and charming surroundings was enough to account for the improvements he had hastened to make at the ranch-house. Anxiously she put away all thought that what he did was for her, she did not wish to accept it. She did not want the obligation of gratitude. It even seemed puerile that he should attempt to make up for spoiling her life by supplying a few easy chairs and pictures and a Chinese cook. He likes the things himself and can't live without them, she insisted, and it was to show him that he could not atone in such childish ways that she lived out of doors or hid in her own room. At first she locked the door of that room when she entered, thinking of it defiantly as her fortress, which must be defended. But when weeks grew into months, and the enemy never attacked the fortress, her vigilance relaxed. She forgot to lock the door. Summer passed. Autumn and then winter came. Night was a good deal away, for he had bought an interest in a newly opened copper mine in the Oregon Mountains, and was interested in the development which might mean fortune. At night, however, he came back in the second-hand motor-car which he had got at a bargain price in El Paso, and drove himself. Annesley never failed to hear him return, though she gave no sign, and sometimes she would peep through the slats of her green shutters on one side of the patio at the windows of his bedroom and office, which were opposite. It was seldom that his light did not burn late, and Annesley went to bed thinking hard thoughts, asking herself, what schemes of new adventure he might be plotting for the day when he should tire of the ranch. Often she wondered that her life was not more hateful than it was, for somehow it was not hateful. Texas, with its vast spaces and blowing gusts of ozone, had begun to mean more for her than her cold reserve let night guess, more than she herself could understand. 
On Christmas morning, when she opened her bedroom door, she almost stumbled over a covered Mexican basket of woven colored straws. Something inside it moved and sighed. She stooped, lifted the cover, and saw, curled up on a bit of red blanketing, a miniature Chihuahua dog. It had a body as slight and shivering as a tendril of grapevine, a tiny pointed face, with a high forehead and immense, almost human eyes. At the sight of her a thread of tail wagged, and Annesley felt a warm impulse of affection toward the little creature. Of course it was a present from Knight, though there was no word to tell her so, and if the dog had not looked at her with an offer of all its love and self, she would perhaps have refused to accept it rather than encouraging the giving of gifts. But after that look she could not let the animal go. Its possession made life warmer, and it was good to see it lying in front of her open fire of mesquite roots. She had no Christmas gift for night. He had made, soon after their coming to the ranch, a cactus fence round the house enclosure, and seeing the dry ugliness of the long, straight sticks placed close together, Annesley disliked and wondered at it. At last she questioned Knight, and complained that the bristly barrier was an eyesore. She wished it might be taken down. "'Wait till spring,' he answered. "'It isn't a barrier. It's an allegory. Maybe when you see what happens you'll understand. Maybe you won't. It depends on your own feelings.' Annesley said no more, but she did not forget. She thought, if her understanding of the allegory meant any change of feeling which the man might be looking for in her, she would never understand. She hated to look at the line of stark, naked sticks, but they, and the allegory they represented, constantly recurred to her mind. One day in spring she noticed that the sticks looked less dry. Knob-like buds had broken out upon them, the first sign that they were living things. It happened to be Easter Eve, and she was restless, full of strange thoughts as the yellow-flowering greasewood bushes were full of rushing sap. A year ago that night her love for her husband had died its sudden, tragic death. In the very act of forgiveness, forgiveness had been killed. Knight had gone off early that morning in his motor-car, the poor car which was a pathetic contrast to the glories of last year in England. He was gone before she was up, and had mentioned to the Chinese cook that he might not be back until late. That means after midnight, she told herself, and since she was as free as air, she decided to take a long walk in the afternoon, as far as the river. It seemed that if she stayed in the house, the thought of life as it might have been, and life as it was, would kill her on this day of all other days. I wish I could die, she said, but not here, somewhere a long way off from everyone, and from him. As she passed the cactus fence, the buds were big. Across the river, where the water flowed high and wide just then, lay Mexico. Annas Lee had never been there, though she could easily have gone, had she wished, from the ranch to El Paso, and from El Paso to the queer old historic town of Juarez. But she could not have gone without night, and there was no pleasure in travelling with him. Besides, there was trouble across the border, and fierce fighting now and then. There had been some thievish raids made by Mexicans upon ranches along the river not many miles away, and that reminded her how Knight had remarked some weeks ago that she had better not go alone as far as the river bank. "'It isn't likely that anything would happen by day,' he said, "'but you might be shot at from the other side.' Annesley was not afraid, and there was a faint stirring of pleasure in the thought that she was doing something against his wish on this anniversary. Deliberately she sat alone by the river, 
waiting for the pageant of sunset to pass, and when she reached home the moon was up, a great white moon that turned the waving waste of pale, sparse grasses to a silver sea. She had taken sandwiches and fruit with her, telling the cook that she would want no dinner when she came back. Away in the cowpuncher's quarters there was music, and she flung herself into a hammock on the veranda to rest and listen. There was a soft yet cool wind from the south, bringing the fragrance of creosote blossoms, and it seemed to the girl that never had she seen such white floods of moonlight, not even that night a year ago at Valley House. The sky was milk-white. There were no black shadows anywhere, only dove-gray ones, except under the veranda roof. Her hammock was screened from the light by one dark shadow, like a straight-hung curtain. Save for the music of a fiddle and men's voices, the silver-white world lay silent in enchanted sleep. Then suddenly something moved. A tall, dark figure was coming to the veranda. It paused at the cactus fence. Could it be night, home already, and on foot? No, it was a woman. She walked straight and fast and unhesitatingly to the veranda, where she sat down on the steps. Annesley raised herself on her elbow and peered out of the concealing shadow. Who could the woman be? It was on the tip of her tongue to call, Who are you? when a sudden lifting of the bent face under a drooping hat brought it beneath the searchlight of the moon. The woman was the Countess de Santiago, and the moon's radiance so lit her dark eyes that she seemed to look straight at Annesley in her hammock. The girl's heart gave a leap of some emotion like fear, yet not fear. She did not stop to analyze it, but she knew that she wished to escape from the woman, and an instant's reflection told her that she could not be seen if she kept still. She began to think quickly, and her thoughts, confused at first, straightened themselves out like threads disentangled from a knot. The woman had marched up to the veranda with such unfaltering certainty that it seemed she must have been there before. Perhaps she had arrived while the mistress of the house was out, and had been walking about the place to pass away the time. But she hasn't come to see me, the girl in the hammock thought. She has come to see night. It's for him she is waiting. Anger stirred in Annesley's heart, anger against night as well as against Madalena. Has he written and told her to come? she asked herself. Does she think she can stay in this house? No, she shall not. I won't have her here. She was half-minded to rise abruptly and surprise the countess, as the countess had surprised her, to ask why she had come, and to show that she was not welcome. But if Madalena were here, at night's invitation, she would stay. There would be a scene, perhaps. The thought was revolting. Annesley lay still, and in the distance she heard the throbbing of a motor. End of chapter 24